Welcome back to the LG Procast, the podcast for Victoria's local government decision makers. In this episode, we're looking at LGBTIQA plus inclusivity. This episode is brought to you by Public Sector People, market leaders in public sector recruitment, their team of specialists work across construction and engineering, business support, planning and environment and professional disciplines. From temporary and contract to permanent positions, they work from entry level through to harder to fill senior and director level roles. So if you're looking to recruit, email info at publicsectorpeople.com.au to see how they can help. We're sitting down with Victorian Pride Lobby Policy Advisor Sean Molke. Sean began working alongside local government at the community-based advocacy group that advocates for equality and social justice for LGBTIQA Australians. VLGA was establishing a rainbow working group a few years back that Sean jumped onto and he was brought in from there as a project officer, kicking off the Rainbow Local Government Conference and launching a rainbow guide for councils. Let's jump right into the deep end now with an ambitious question for Sean. What should councils be doing to be truly inclusive? Oof, where do you start? If we step back a little bit, how do we get to where we want to get to? What we want to get to in the end is a local government area that is inclusive and accepting of the LGBTQA plus people that live, work and recreate there. So how do you get there? Well, I think the first key things councils should be doing is unsurprisingly consulting and engaging with LGBTQA plus people within their communities. And that can be done through setting up an advisory committee or a reference group, putting out an expression of interest and making sure as much as possible that that advisory committee or reference group reflects the diversity of the community. So are there lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, queer, asexual people on there? Do we have a diversity of ages, genders, ethnicities? And then it's about working with them to ensure that an action plan is developed that reflects what the community wants. Like it's very easy for councillors or council officers or even ourselves as a lobby group to come in and say, this is what your council should be doing. But as much as possible, it should be guided by the LGBTIQA plus people that live, work and recreate in there. And then when you're developing the action plan, there's lots of practical things that councils can be doing within that action plan to get us towards LGBTIQA plus inclusivity. More and more councils are developing LGBTIQA plus action plans but some are further ahead than others. Here's Sean with a matured example that acts as a checklist for what you should be looking out for in your council. Yeah, I think it's well worth having a look at uh, Yarra City Council's LGBTIQ plus strategy that was developed in consultation with the community. And it includes a number of things like uh, recognising and celebrating the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia, which is on May 17th. Uh, to ensuring that council communications reflect the diversity of the community. For example, uh, there shouldn't only be pictures depicting happy different gendered couples. There should be pictures depicting happy same gendered couples or gender diverse people. Advocacy as well. We know that councils across the nation played a really strong role in getting us towards marriage equality, but there's a lot of other issues that we're confronting that local government, as the system of government that's closest to the community, can understand the issues affected by the community and advocate for us. Good data collection and also improving organisational culture through uh, setting up a staff pride network, training staff on LGBTQA plus sensitivity and the like. 
collaborating and engaging with the community and with community organisations, promoting the work of other organisations and ensuring that grants programs include grants that are available for and targeted towards our communities, as well as ensuring that services are LGBTIQA plus inclusive and investigating appropriate accreditation to make sure that they are so. Updating policy is part of the solution to becoming more inclusive, but if we jump back to Sean's point about data, we find one of the hidden offenders that could be breaking down how inclusive your council services are, the limitations of your technology. Yeah, the data is a is a big problem and I totally understand that IT systems just cannot compute sometimes and for example, we've had an issue with Centrelink where it won't allow non-binary genders and we've been pushing them for, I think, something like 13 years now. And finally, it's going to change in July of this year and there will be a non-binary um, gender option there. But that has taken a long, long, long time to get there. But it's simple things like that. And I, I'll tell you two things. Firstly, A, if you can't put in your gender, then you can't engage. And secondly, if you can't put in your gender, you can't engage and it's showing a sign that the organisation doesn't want to engage with you. So it's really important that councils look at simple things like forms to make sure that they are inclusive. And asking even the question of why are we collecting this data in the first place? Sometimes people will go, no, I don't want to input that data. And if it's mandatory, then suddenly you're shutting people off. So you need to think through um, data collection quite carefully in that regard. And I think that's probably a key area where councils could be taking stronger steps to ensure that they're inclusive. A lack of support at work could be creating issues for your staff or even a hostile workspace that you can't see. So what does inclusivity mean for your workplace? Absolutely. Um, There are things that councils can be doing to support the LGBTIQA plus people that work within local government. There was quite a shocking report recently from the Victorian Auditor General's office that showed that almost half of LGBTIQA plus people in working in local government have been sexually harassed at work. That is a shocking statistic and is frankly not good enough and things need to change to ensure that that's addressed. Thankfully, there are practical things that councils can do to address these things. Firstly, setting up a staff network that includes LGBTIQA plus people and is led by LGBTIQA plus workers, but but can incorporate allies that are committed to supporting their colleagues, to ensuring that there's appropriate training for council staff, both in their interactions with the public and interactions with each other. Having robust and comprehensive equal opportunity policies, bullying and harassment policies, Policies on affirming one's gender in the workplace, there's, again, some shocking statistics from Transgender Victoria that suggest that somewhere around 90% of transgender people that are affirming their gender in the workplace end up leaving during that period of time, often because there isn't support and there isn't, for example, uh, leave for medical treatment, for example, or people are having to draw down on other leave categories such as sick leave and the like. It's also important that 
councils look at their enterprise agreements and check that parental leave provisions are inclusive. In one situation a number of years ago, and thankfully it's changed, we had a council that said primary caregiver's leave is only for women and secondary caregiver's leave is only for men. So if you were in a situation where, for example, you're in a lesbian relationship and you wanted to take secondary caregiver's leave while your partner, um, after your partner had given birth, you just simply weren't able to, which was openly discriminatory. It's also important that given the incidence of family violence within the community, that there are family violence leave provisions. And like we talked about before, ensuring that internal forms and employment records use inclusive language um, and gender options. Another big issue is around bathrooms and change rooms. And actually, this is an area where a lot of councils now are moving towards ensuring that public restrooms have all gender facilities. And it's also important that uh, council offices have the same. I know for a lot of councils, they're working in quite old buildings, but there's a lot of practical things that can be done to ensure that bathrooms are updated to provide facilities for trans and gender diverse people that are working in council. Inclusivity metrics can be a difficult measurement, but some organisations have already done the heavy lifting. Rainbow tick accreditation is one way of assessing your council's performance, but it can be costly and more applicable to some areas of council than others. So is it right for your council? We get a lot of questions about this a lot of the time. Thankfully, we've got uh, Rainbow Health Victoria, sorry, Rainbow Health Australia, I should say now, who run the Rainbow Tick Accreditation Program coming along to our local government conference to speak about the program and hopefully have the opportunity to answer questions that council officers have about the program. Essentially, what it is, is an accreditation service that measures services to ensure that they're LGBTIQA plus inclusive. Councils would have to do an audit of their service against a particular criteria. And then there's a process by which they work with Rainbow Health Australia to get the Rainbow Tick accreditation. There's some difficulties with it. It's very much oriented towards particular service provision. There are a couple of councils investigating whether they can get accreditation across whole of council. And we have been trying to get more information from Rainbow Health Australia on how they can do that. Hopefully, um, the conference will provide some of those answers there. The second thing is it can be quite costly. Thankfully, Rainbow Health Australia do have on their website a guide that you can download and do an audit of council services yourself. I think it would be a relatively inexpensive way to have a look at what council services are and how LGBTQA plus inclusive they are before then taking the next step of deciding we're going to push for rainbow tick accreditation. Daniels often been leading in this area as well too. They uh, have rainbow tick accreditation for some of their services as well as having an advisory group and an action plan. What you say matters. Your workforce and community develop a sense of what your council stands for by your words and actions. But be warned, paying lip service can be a costly mistake. But there's also like small steps that can be taken, even simple things like including a rainbow flag or pronouns in an e-signature can signal inclusivity. But it's also important that you don't do that unless you're going to back it up. Like there's no point flying the rainbow flag if somebody comes into your council office 
and is misgendered, or there's no point having pronouns in your e-signature at work if you scoff um, when somebody talks about their gender identity. So those signals are important, but they need to be backed up by actions as well. For a more detailed guide, the online Rainbow Local Government Conference is coming up on May 20 and will directly address how to plan for LGBTIQA plus inclusion at the local level and how to develop action plans. Here's Sean with more detail. So the conference is for council laws, council officers and members of council advisory committees to get together and talk about how to improve LGBTIQA plus inclusion in local government, really geared towards those five key areas, which for us is simple actions like flying the rainbow flag or participating in pride events to the next step up, which is establishing an advisory committee and an action plan, and then the kind of top tier, which is getting your services accredited for LGBTIQA plus inclusivity. And what hopefully the conference will do is bring together people that are able to speak to each of those with councillors, council officers, people on advisory committees, and folk like the uh, Minister for Local Government, the Commissioner for LGBTIQ plus communities, the Commissioner for Gender Equality in the public sector to talk all of this through and hopefully inspire action. It's interesting because when we started out in 2016, we were working primarily with council officers to progress change in councils. In 2020, it switched around because it was such a public campaign to get council candidates to sign the pledge. We've been able to work with the elected councillors to progress these issues. Hopefully, the conference will provide an opportunity to re-engage with council officers and talk about what role they can play as well too. Looking for what to do next, Sean leaves us with a few practical next steps. I think the most crucial step you can take is to consult and engage. And I know that might seem like a bit of a cop-out, but it is really important that you have an opportunity to speak to the LGBTIQA plus people that are in your community to understand what their particular needs are, and that will hopefully guide the work. There's lots of simple practical things that you can do. Ensure that your council's flying the rainbow flag on the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia. Almost every council does and every council should. To see what council can do to get involved in and support local pride events and partner with local community organisations in that regard and to take the steps of establishing an LGBTQA plus advisory committee, even if it is informal to begin with and until there's support from council to establish a more formal body, then that will hopefully guide uh, work in that area. Thank you to Sean for this episode's interview, to Public Sector People for sponsoring the LG Procast, and thank you for joining us.